I'm very, very excited about the talk this morning. Uh, we're picking up in James chapter 2. We're going to get to that in just a few moments. Uh, but I want to set it up a little bit, and you'll see as we get into it where we're going. It's a very, very interesting passage that we're looking at today. Probably one of the more interesting passages, I think, uh, personally, uh, that uh, you know, James has for us. It's going to speak to us today. I'm, I'm confident of that. But to just sort of set it up a little bit, I want to take you back uh, to a time when I was actually in middle school. So you know that's been a few years ago. I was in middle school, and there was a particular pair of jeans that I wanted really, really bad. I just wanted to have these jeans, and, and a lot of my buddies had them. A lot of my friends had them, and, and they were more expensive than the jeans that my parents typically bought, bought me. And uh, so I, I can't remember my mom taking me to the store where I knew carry these jeans and looking and just, you know, sort of giving hints. And, and then when that wasn't really working, knowing Christmas was coming up, I started laying out hints for Christmas. And so uh, Christmas rolled around and I'm opening up some gifts and I open up uh, this box and, and there they were, this pair of jeans that, you know, I wanted to have, because, you know, when you're in middle school, something like a pair of jeans can make you, like, ultra cool. I mean, uh, more cool than I already was. Just, just kidding. That's, that's totally not true. And uh, so, but I'm thinking, oh, man, and I liked them, and, and I knew it was probably a little bit of a sacrifice for my parents. Um, you know, I always remember uh, having our needs met, uh, not a, uh, not anything extravagant that we lived in, but we always had, you know, shelter, and we always had food and, and clothes and that. But, you know, my mom and dad didn't have a lot of money to really spend on clothes. So the only way that they could justify getting me these more expensive jeans than what I typically wore was it was Christmas. And I was so proud to have them. didn't matter to me whether it was Christmas or any other part of the year. Now I had a pair of these jeans. And I can remember being so proud of them. I went ahead and put them on that morning. I knew we were going to uh, our grandparents, my grandparents' house for lunch, Christmas lunch, uncles, family, cousins were going to be there. And so we get over there, we have lunch. And then afterwards, and this was nothing new. We had done this many, many times before. And somebody suggests, well, let's go out and let's play football. Let's strike up a, a football game. And I can remember thinking, you know, as I got older, man, you know, that front yard was not nearly as big as I thought it was. When I was a kid, it, it felt like a full regulation, 100 yards, uh, you know, 120 yards if you include the end zones. And uh, thinking, man, that was a big place. But I went back a few years ago, and it wasn't regulation size. It wasn't even half of a football field. But we got out there, and it was going to be a fun time. We had done it many times before. So I can remember when our team had the ball back, we're on offense. I think my dad, I uh, can't remember this exactly, but I think my dad was actually the quarterback on our team. And I can remember we just wanted to go for all of it, very first play, and uh, Dad just sent me way downfield. Uh, and so I went running as fast as I could. He threw it up in the air. I was open. You know, my, one of my cousins in the guard of me. I, I got in the open, and I'm running, and I'm not looking where I'm running. I've got on these new I, – I figure, hey, what a great way to break in a pair of new jeans, you know, football in the front yard. And I look up, it's a very high pass, long pass, and I'm looking for the ball, not where I'm going, and I ran straight through a rose bush in my grandmother's front yard, just ran right, right through it, uh, 
And then I looked, and I'm like, oh, my. And it wasn't like any big torn areas. It was just little tears all over the jeans. But nevertheless, you know, they were ruined. And here they were. I was so proud to have them. And I had to trash them. I mean, nothing major, but nothing repairable. It wasn't like a little hole that my mom could repair. It was just, all right, put them in the trash. I, I can remember this was not too terribly long ago. When, uh, you know, I had a little incident when I was driving faster than I should have. By the way, let me ask you a question. How many of you know this? Um, if, you, if, if you have had a perfect driving record, and let's say, for example, this is not true of me. I'm, I'm talking about you. Uh, if you've had a perfect uh, driving record, uh, no accidents, no speeding tickets, no parking violations. How many of you know this? All it takes is one, and you don't have a perfect driving record anymore. How many of you know that? All right. Now, some of you may have a perfect driving record, maybe three of you out of this whole crew. How many of you, you know for a fact you do not, and I've got to read, you do not have a perfect driving record. You, you just don't. You and so not too long ago, I was going um, a little bit different route to, from my home to the office that day. And I came down. There's a sharp curve near the Resurrection uh, Catholic Church on the south side here. And I was going around that sharp curve. And obviously, I was thinking about something other than the miles per hour I was traveling at. And, and I just sort of looked up. And I noticed there was a, a lady police officer, and she sort of did like this at me. She's like standing, you know, at the bend of the curve. And she does like this. And I wanted to do like this, but I thought, well, you know, she's, and she said, and so I, I pulled off and I rolled my window down. It was down by the time she walked over. Very, very nice lady. She walked up and I said, I take it you were not waving and saying, hello, I hope you have a great day at work today. She said, no, that's not it at all. She said, do you know how fast you were going? And I said, no, I really don't. And I think you're going to tell me. She said, I am. And I'm saying, I'm like, oh, really? I was doing this very, very nice lady. But even if I had not had a previous blemish on my driving record, all it would have taken is one. And you don't have a perfect driving record anymore. How many of you like baseball, for example? Let me just see your hand. You like baseball? You follow baseball a little bit? How many, know, how many of you know that you know, all the pros, as great as they are, nobody that I know of has a perfect batting average. Nobody. I mean, nobody bats a 1,000. Unless you've been up like one time in your career and you got on base, you know, you got to hit. It wasn't even in there. You got to hit. Then, okay, you may be one for one batting a 1,000. But if you have many at, uh, too many at the plate appearances, you're, you're not going to be able to maintain a perfect bad in that. All it takes is one strikeout, one ground out, one pop out to the outfield, and your perfect record is all messed up. And you're going to find this, I think, interesting what James has to say. This is chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 10, and I want you to pay very, very uh, careful attention uh, for the next uh, couple of moments here. So let's take a look at this, and uh, you watch it closely because I'm going to have you join me on some portions of this. All right, so James is saying, for the person who keeps, how much? How much of the laws? 
for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws, all right? Even one. You just, just one messes it up. It just destroys your average. And then he goes on. For the same God who said, and then he reaches back into the Old Testament, uh, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not commit murder. So if you murder someone, but you do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be what? You're going to be judged by the law. It's a very important phrase over here. By the law that sets us free, sets you free, sets us free. Now, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Read the last sentence with me. I know it's a a little blurred there. but, But if you have been merciful... God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, you know, there's a lot of portions of the Bible that you can read, and many of you have probably read the Bible all the way through at times. And maybe you've read through, and you're like, you know, I get that, I understand it, and you just sort of absorb it right as you read it. Well, this is not one of those places. There's a lot going on in these four brief verses This is a very captivating passage, but it is not an easy one to grasp at all, simply that our hurried first pass. So we need to talk about it, and I want you to stay fully engaged as we walk through and unpack these few verses. I'm going to do it in sections. So we'll start at verse 10, but I want you to follow along. You got to stay dialed in, or you're going to miss something that God has for you this morning. And I believe that God has something for every single person seated in this theater right now. James is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we know that, but what is it that he is saying to us? You know, what is he saying to them initially, but then You know, in our case, what is he saying to us? And when you start digging in here at verse 10 and following, uh, one of the things that you uh, notice right away, we don't need to make any mistake about it at all, right out of the gate, what James is making very, very clear is that, and you got to get this, you got to understand this, he is saying to all of us, all of us, that we are total lawbreakers. All of us are lawbreakers. Here's a question for us, and it goes back to what I mentioned at the very beginning of this talk, and you know the answer already, so obviously it's rhetorical in nature, but here's a question for us to dive into. How many of God's laws must you break in order to earn the label lawbreaker? How many do you have to break? Just one. That's all you got to break, all you got to do. Any of the decrees, any of the commands, any of the laws, any of the Big Ten, the Big Ten Commandments, any of Jesus' teachings, all you've got to do is break one, just one. And James said, you're, gui- you're guilty of breaking them all. And James cites two examples from the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. And I think you have a sense of what he's saying here. He's saying, just pick one. Pick any of them. It really doesn't matter. Pick number one or three or five or seven or nine. Or pick two, four, six, eight. Pick any of them. Pick any of them. If If you're guilty of breaking even one of them, you're guilty of breaking them all. And all of us at some point in time have broken and disregarded what we knew God wanted us to do. All of us. And this is what James is saying. And we cannot miss it. All of us are total lawbreakers. Every one of us in this room. Because there have been times in our life 
When God has said something to us, we, wish, we sense this whisper. We felt it. When God was saying to us, this is what I want you to do. I really want you to do it. We had that inner sense, that inner conviction, that inner motivation. This is what I, wanted, I want you to do. We knew what God wanted us to do. We felt compelled to do it. But at the end of the day, we never, we never did it. Or there was something where God said, you know what? I don't want you to do that. I do not. I, I don't want you to say that. I don't want you to th- think that in terms of dwelling on it. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to cross over the line. And we knew, we knew that if we were to step over the line, that it would be breaking the law of God. We knew we should not do it, but nevertheless, we did it anyhow. And we all have got to acknowledge, and this is what James is saying. What he's getting at here is that all of us are legitimate lawbreakers. All of us. Nobody's left out of that. Now, admittedly, some are lightweight lawbreakers, I mean by comparison, while others are like prolific lawbreakers. And we've got a mixture of everything. I mean, candidly speaking, we've got a mixture of all of that in this room right here. We've got a mixture of, say, for example, those who are serious repeat offenders as it relates to breaking the laws of God, while there are others who are similar to something that I read not too long ago. It was actually a Catholic priest, and he was describing listening to the confessions of nuns, and this is how he defined it. He said, it was like being stoned to death with popcorn. That's how he defined it. So some of you in your lifetime, you've been like major serious repeat offenders. Others of you, I mean more lightweight by comparison, but nevertheless, it does not deny this reality that all of us have broken the laws of God. And in case we needed a little bit more convincing on this, let's read together this next verse. Look at it with me. Everybody read it. Help me out now. Romans 3.10. This is what it says. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Not even one. So you've got to stop and you've got to say, hey, nobody, not even one. Not the person seated beside me or, or, or behind me or in front of me, and certainly not the person seated in my seat. I'm a lawbreaker. I've broken the law of God, and if I've broken one, I am guilty of breaking them all. Not long ago, I was doing some reading, uh, some of the writings of Dallas Willard. A lot of you know that I like uh, Dallas Willard, and I, just this just tremendous mind in regards to spiritual formation and growth and development as a follower of Jesus. And and this is one of the things that he said. I found this to be particularly interesting. He writes this, Dallas Willard does, we often think that it's sinners that need grace so much because we have shrink-wrapped grace into the forgiveness of sin, but grace is way more than that, he says. It is the power of life, and the reality is that saints, listen to this now, Saints burn far more grace than sinners ever could. In fact, he says it like this. Saints burn grace like a 747 burns jet fuel. All of us have done this. All of us are guilty. All of us are lawbreakers. So in reality, we are basically fallen into one of two camps. I mean, undeniably, this is, this is the way it is. I hope, I hope you embrace this. I hope you get this. I hope you you know, believe this, that we're either going to fall into the camp of lawbreakers who admit that we're lawbreakers, or we're either lawbreakers who deny that we're lawbreakers. 
James is telling us here, friends, and I want this to be so clear before we move on to verse 12. James is telling us that we need to be serious, extraordinarily serious in our personal assessment of our own lawbreaking. And if you and I, this is what he's saying, don't miss it. Don't, don't miss this. And again, a lot of times we read, and this is one of those passages, 10 through 13, where we're reading through the Bible, and we don't quite get it, and you know, it seems to be a little complex, a little bit complicated, you know, needs to be pieced together, and so we just sort of breeze through it, and we don't even try to think through it. And James is wanting us to think through it. God is wanting us to think through it. And when we see ourselves, this is what he's saying in essence, when we see ourselves for who we really are, lawbreakers, and then we consider that God is this supremely perfect, righteous, and holy God, then we realize how desperately that we need God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's mercy. So either, and we all fall into one of these camps, either we're lawbreakers who admit that we are lawbreakers, or we're lawbreakers who deny that we're lawbreakers, and we don't deal with the truth concerning ourselves. Well, you just keep reading on, and you come to this next verse. Uh, look at it with me, verse 12. In fact, read it with me. You're doing really good. Everybody, 100%. Let's all read it together. Verse 12. You see it here on the screen. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Please, friends, do not forget what lawbreakers like us really ought to receive. Lawbreakers, lawbreakers deserve punishment, deserve punishment. Now, when I read the Bible, and I try to do so every day, when I read the Bible, there are times that I walk away and I'm strengthened. There are times when I walk away and I'm I'm encouraged. There are times when I walk away when I'm convicted. There are times when I walk away and I have this sense of sober-mindedness about me because when I really start thinking about what do I deserve, a lawbreaker, lawbreaker, what do I really deserve? What I really deserve is not what I have received. When I think about one day there's going to be a day of reckoning, and that is true. When I think about one day there's going to be a judgment, a day of judgment for every person in this room, you and me alike, and we get If we were to get, let me just say it that way, if we were to get what we really deserve, then for all of us, our final landing spot would be a real place called hell. It it just would. Because, again, keep it in mind, this is what James is saying, lawbreakers deserve punishment. All of us, all right? How many of you are willing to admit that you're a lawbreaker? Let me put up, you know, this hand, this hand. You know, and just say, that's, that's me. All of, us, all of us are lawbreakers, and lawbreakers deserve punishment. We deserve to be penalized. We deserve to be judged. But when we look at what we deserve and what we have received, they're completely contrasted. They're not congruent at all. In fact, did you notice this important phrase in the verse that we just read? It's the last few words of verse 12 when, when uh, James says this. He said, you will be judged by the law. But then he asks, this is so important. Don't miss it. By the law that, that's what? Sets you free. You're going to be judged by, by the law that sets you free. Now, I don't, I don't have to convince you. I don't have to convince you that this world, for the most part, operates on a system 
of justice and retribution. When you break the rules, you have to pay. How many of you would agree with that? You break the rules, you've got to pay. You know, the lady that I mentioned to you, this nice law enforcement lady, very, very nice, very polite, and she was kind. You were going this speed. And she, although she was very nice, how many of you believe I still had to pay the fine? I still had to pay the speeding ticket. I broke the law, therefore I had to pay. Now, let me take you back to even prior to, you know, I mentioned uh, when I was in middle school at the beginning of this talk, uh, when I go back all the way to the first grade, I started first grade when I was five years of age, and this whole idea of, you know, you break the rules and you get punished came fully into my brain when I was just in the first grade. And it happened like this. My, my teacher, Mrs. Duncan, um, wonderful lady, I knew that she loved all of us in class. Mrs. Duncan loved us all, but Mrs. Duncan made you toe the line. How many of you, by the way, how many of you uh, happen to have grown up in the days when they could still beat you in school? And if you grow, you remember that, when they could still beat you in school? And so, you know, I, I'm old enough that they could still beat you in school. But Mrs. Duncan loved all of her class, and, and I can remember my favorite part of the day in first grade was recess. I just love recess which causes me to wonder, have you ever thought about this? Do you remember like even pre-first grade when you were like in preschool? Do you remember what they would make you? And this happens to my granddaughter, uh, by the way. When you're like in preschool, what happens? At a certain time, generally after lunch, they lay out the little nap, you know, uh, mats there, and you have to take a nap. And I can remember, I can remember that when I had to take a nap, when it's like, you've got to take a nap. I didn't want to take a nap. But when I wanted to do that, like in high school, they wouldn't let us do it. I'd be like, okay, sounds good to me. Yeah, I'd like to miss science and history. So lay out my little mat. I'll just sleep a couple of hours if you'll leave me alone. Well, it doesn't work that way. Well, Mrs. Duncan, uh, we had a brand new school in the suburbs I grew up in, and we had a brand new playground, which I love. But here was a problem with that playground. Everybody went to recess when I went to recess. And being a selfish little five-year-old, I dreamed, I envisioned the day when I could play on this playground without all these other little heathenistic kids getting in my way. So I'm like, this is never going to happen. Because we all get dismissed at the same time. Mrs. Duncan would be out there, and then she would, like, call us all together, single file. I remember exactly what the school looked like. I remember the door where she lined us up. Single file now. Mrs. Duncan smiled. All right, let's go on in. She had turned, and we'd walk down the hall. On the left-hand side of the hallway was our class. Well, I don't, I don't know where I got this notion. I'm certain that now, looking back, it wasn't God. But I just had this thought one day while I was playing. It would be so much fun to just stay out here once all these kids go in. And so we had this new school. We had this brand new playground. But again, everybody's getting in my way because, you know, I want to get on the monkey bars. And wow, you know, they're on the money. I want to get in the swings. Right? So I just envisioned what would it be like. And so I, uh, I had this little plan in my, my mind. Here is the school. Here's the flat ground that playground is on. And then there was a sloping, severely sloping hill that went down to a ball field that I don't even think that our school owned. But it was there nevertheless, and I knew it was there, and I eyed it, and I had this great thought. When Mrs. Duncan calls all the class together, I'm going to make a run for it. 
And so she calls, all right, line up, line up. She said, everybody, get in line. And when I heard her, you know, start calling everybody, and when she got up from her chair, I ran the opposite direction, and I literally went and laid on the side of the hill, just like this, sort of face down, and I knew Mrs. Duncan could not see me. And I heard the door shut, and I knew all the glass had gone inside. And I just thought, Jesus is coming. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. And I walked up that hill and I looked and there was nobody there. I could swing when I wanted to swing. I could climb when I wanted to climb. I could do whatever I wanted to do because I had the whole playground to myself. And it was so intoxicating to me that I completely lost sense of all time. I have no idea how long it was, but I remember almost freezing in space, you know, thinking, I've, I've been out here a long, long time. And my fun, now I'm thinking, I'm in, I'm in big trouble. Mrs. Duncan, she don't play. She's old, but she don't play. And I can just think, oh, man, this is going to be, you know, break the rules, pay. You know, I've seen it before, not that before, just you know, mischievousness, misbehavior, what that could get you. And I'm like, I have, this is like a capital offense I've done here. And so I came walking down the hall, and I noticed the door was open. And I'm just thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to slip into class. And I turned, and I looked, and all of my friends were here. And I, Mrs. Duncan's desk was positioned, like, right here. And I looked, and I thought, God is showing me grace and favor because Mrs. Duncan is not standing in front of the chalkboard, and she is not seated at her desk. And I start smiling, you know, like, I have pulled this off. And the deeper I get into the class, and I don't see Mrs. Duncan anywhere and I'm thinking, this is great. You know, I'm not going to be punished. I have broken the rules. I have broken the law. But I'm not going to be punished. And I walked about three steps in. I'm smiling bigger and bigger until I heard the door. Bam. Shut behind me. And sweet Mrs. Duncan had a paddle in her hand. And she lit me up in front of that entire class. You break the rules, you got to pay. Now, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this next part. If you're a kid, just cover your ears. That was the beginning of things to come. From that time through the 11th grade, I kid you not, my mother would validate this. From first grade through 11th grade, I got at least one paddling every single year of school. At least one. But I got saved before my senior year of high school. And I had one year I did not get a paddling. Anybody want to thank Jesus with me right here, right now? And they couldn't beat me at Southeastern, so that was a good thing, too. <laughs> but you break the law, and you got to pay. You break the rules. It's just the way that it works. I don't have to convince you that this world operates on that system, justice and retribution. Break the rules in the context of any system. School, military, corporate life, and you'll be punished when you break the rules. I can remember a sad occasion. In fact, it's still grievous to me when I think about it. It's been a number of years ago. I, I did not actually know the man who was going for his day of sentencing, but I knew family members and I knew friends, and I was asked to be there to be supportive of the family. I didn't like the whole process of it, you know, just, you know, knowing what was coming down and walking through the courtroom and, you know, slipping in and, you know, into the, walking through the courthouse, slipping in the courtroom and just... You know, just that whole scene, knowing what the charges were, knowing the rules that had been broken. And man, you could just, every minute that went by, 
I just said, this is not going well. This is not going good. There have been some serious rules broken here, some serious laws broken here. Somebody's in big trouble. I remember looking around in that courtroom and seeing this man's wife. He had younger kids that were standing outside of the courtroom, family members. And it provided me a picture of, you know, what it could be like were it not for the grace of God when all of us stand before a, not a county judge, but a righteous judge at the end of time. You see, none of us are going to stand, and I want you to get this, because all of us are going to have a day of reckoning. All of us are going to have a day of judgment. And when we stand before the righteous, holy, perfect God of the whole earth, I'm telling you, friends, you will not want to stand there on the basis of your own moral record. You and I will not want to stand there on the basis of our own goodness. If we do that, I'm telling you right here, right now, we're in big, big trouble. We're in big trouble. The only way that we're going to be able to survive such a day is when God looks at us, all of us lawbreakers, and he says, you know what? You've broken the law. You've broken the law. You deserve to pay for the penalty of your crime, of your sins, of your mistakes, of your failures. You deserve to pay. But here's what I've done. I've taken all of the penalty and all all the wrong that you've ever done, all the sin that you've ever committed, and I've laid it on my son, Jesus And Jesus took it all to the cross, and he died in your place. In fact, look at this next verse. In fact, read it with me. It's the A part of verse 5 out of Titus chapter 3. Read it with me. He saved us because of his mercy, not because of any good things that we have done. It is because Jesus stepped in. We could have never in a million years paid off the enormous debt of sin that we had accumulated, but Jesus stepped in, and he said, you know what? I'll pay it for you. You're guilty. Don't get confused about that. We're guilty. Don't get confused about that. We've broken the law. Don't get confused about that. James said if you've broken even one of the laws, it's as though you've broken them all. You're guilty of all of them. But Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll take it. And all of it was laid on him. He stepped in. Read this next verse with me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Everybody, let's read it together. But God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And Jesus did that. I mean, I think about that courtroom. I've thought about it in my mind so many times and likened it to, you know, if we were standing before a righteous judge and all of the charges, all of the crimes, all of the sin, all of the laws that we have broken... And we deserve to be sentenced. We deserve to pay the penalty. But then God, the righteous judge, says, but Jesus has already paid it for you. When he took it upon himself and he went to a cross and he died in your place, he forgave. He paid the penalty. All the sin debt you ever accumulated, you're not guilty. You're innocent. And he will declare us innocent even though we are technically guilty. How many of you are glad that's the way it's going to play out at the end of time? I know that I am. Yeah. I totally agree with the statement by Shane Wheeler. You'll see it up here on the screen. This is what he said. Over and above all else, what distinguishes Christianity from the world's religion is the radical, liberal, and free grace of Jesus Christ offered to anyone and everyone who will believe. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk about the last part of this passage. But just before I do, I want to do a timeout right here, right now. 
There are those of you that are in this room right now. You know you're a lawbreaker. You know that you could never stand before a perfect God, a holy, righteous, sinless God, and declare yourself innocent on the basis of your own moral record. You could never stand before this God that created the heavens and the earth and say, well, I haven't done anything wrong because just like I have, you've broken the laws of God. And if you've broken, what did James say? If you broke even one of them, you're guilty of breaking them all. You're a lawbreaker. Remember what I said earlier? You're a lawbreaker who admits or you're a lawbreaker who denies. We can deny that we are what we know we are. Or we can come and say, I know what I am. I know what I deserve. But Jesus, you willingly have taken all of my sin upon yourself. And you just want me to accept the finished work that you did for me on the cross. You want me to accept this free gift of salvation. So I don't have to pay for my sin at the end of time. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, you know what, Jeff? I've never asked God to forgive me. I mean, if I were to stand before God, if I were to have my final judgment day, my day of reckoning, I know where I'd go and I deserve to go there. But if you're telling me that I can receive Christ, that I can know that my sins are forgiven, that I don't have to live with guilt and shame, that I can know I'm in right standing with God, that I have a forever home in heaven, then I'd like to receive Jesus. Would you just bow your head, everybody? Bow your head, close your eyes right here in this moment. If you'd say, you know what? I know I'm a lawbreaker. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need to receive Jesus into my life. I believe that Jesus has paid my sin debt, my accumulated sin debt off in full, and I want to receive Christ into my life. I want to thank God that he sent Jesus. I want to thank Jesus that he already has paid the penalty. He's, he's taken upon himself the punishment that I deserve, and I want to receive him today. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. If that's you right there, just lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. I see your hand, and 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 I see yours, and I see yours. And I'm looking around. I see your hand right over here. Anybody else? You just, I'm looking up toward the top now. Anybody else? You, I see your hand right over there. I see your hand way back, way back there. Your hand back behind that. And would you right there where you're at, right here, right now, this is a special moment. This is a sacred moment. Just say in your heart, in your mind, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I know what I deserve. I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know what I've thought, and I need forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you have taken upon yourself all of my punishment so that I can be declared innocent before your holy and righteous Father. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And with your help, I will follow you, and I will be the disciple and love you the way you deserve to be loved. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give the Lord some praise on that? Thank you. Last portion, and this just take me a moment. Here's James' final thought in this section of verses, and it is this. Receivers of mercy should also show mercy to others. Read this next verse with me. This is the last verse of this passage. This is verse 13, James 2. Everybody read it. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Pretty plain, pretty clear, isn't it? And so I ask you, has somebody offended you? Have they? 
Has somebody just straight up offended you? Has somebody spread some gossip about you? And some of you are saying, yeah, at least a hundred times. Has somebody said negative things about you? Has somebody hurt you? Does anybody owe you big time? And let me just say, you have have options. You do. You have options. You're a human being. There are choices that you have the prerogative to make or not make, and you have options. You can't pay them back. You can. You just, I mean, that's the reality. You can pay them back. You can get even. In fact, can I tell you? If you choose to, I don't recommend it, but if you choose to, you can not only bring retribution, you can not only, you know, pay them back, but you can ratchet it up a notch. And you can say, well, you did this to me, but I'm going to do this back to you plus some. You can do that. Or James would say, as a receiver of God's mercy, you can become a conveyor of mercy to those who do not necessarily deserve it. So, Jeff, are you telling me that James is saying that I need to demonstrate mercy to people who don't even deserve to receive mercy? Yes, that is what I'm saying to you. And on the backside of that, I'm also saying to you, isn't that how God has treated, treated us? Did you deserve mercy? No. I know I didn't. Did I deserve grace? Absolutely not. Did I deserve forgiveness? No, I didn't. But James is saying this. You want to have some mercy at the end of your life? Then you be sure you show mercy to others. In fact, James would take it a step beyond that. He would strongly recommend that we take his instruction and advice if we hope to be met with God's mercy at the end end of time. So a New Testament scholar who has written this, a merciful attitude is one of the evidences that a person truly is alive in Christ. I told you we have a choice that we could make. Here's the flip side of that. It feels normal to me and natural to me to want to get revenge. But I don't have to get revenge. There's something enticing about wanting to get even, to even the score. But I don't have to. I can extend to others the same kind of mercy that a perfectly holy God bestowed on a full-blooded lawbreaker like me. And that would be a very wise thing to do on our part. In fact, it's not only what James said, it's actually what his brother, Jesus, also said in Matthew 5, 7. Read one last verse with me. Let's read it together. God blesses those who are merciful. They will be treated with mercy. How many of you would like to be treated with some mercy at the end of your life? I know I would. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? Everybody? Maybe you need to make a decision right here, right now. Just a few minutes ago, people made a decision to receive Jesus, to have their sin forgiven, to acknowledge that Jesus has already paid the penalty on the cross so that we can be declared innocent even though we were lawbreakers. Maybe the decision that many of you need to make is what are you going to do concerning somebody that has hurt you, offended you, gossiped about you, lied about you, treated you unfairly, unjustly, How are you going to respond to that? Probably by now, you already have a face. You have a name. You know what you could do, but what are you going to do? James would recommend mercy. 
Jesus would say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God, all of us have been hurt. All of us have been offended. All of us have been wounded. And we want to. We really do. There's this fierce, competitive part of us, and we, we want to get even. We want to pay back. We don't want to let them off the hook. But help us to choose, God, the way of mercy. Because we sure do need mercy when we get to the end of our life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your word. Be with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Can we give Jesus one more last hand up of praise? I love you, everybody. See you right back here next Sunday for Father's Day. Have a great, great week.